man, to put it as simply as I can, the fire department is not some Puritan, socialist, utopian concept, right? I've been hearing and seeing a lot of tweets and hearing conversations about how the fire department is like a perfect representation of a socialist ideal or some kind of communist system, which like the taxes you pay go into funding the fire department to put out everyone's fires and thus it's like benefiting the people as a whole. And here's why that thought process is mostly wrong. So let's talk about the fire department and how it's set up, okay? Let's gonna jump around a little bit, I think, but let's go over some history, right? Right now, you really have like a public versus private sector fire department. A public sector is, I mean, think of things that are like a dot .gov, right? Like a government entity, These this group is like in an area, a municipality, like I work for the city of Tucson, which has their own fire department. That is a public entity. Like that is a public fire department. And then there are things that are private fire departments, which are more like, let's say, if I have a large mining operation, I would have my own private fire department there. Or let's say I have a small airport, but it's big enough to have like an international flight come on that would be a private fire department it's not really like private like it's ran for profit it's more just the way that it's set up and i think i'm going to be talking a lot more about public fire departments because that's what all this conversation has really been about i think so I don't know, some gee whiz information, stuff like the, the Maltese cross, why we all wear it and rep it is because, I don't know, it was like the 14th century or 16th century. There were some knights, uh, like Knights Templar guys, whatever. They were besieging a castle on the Isle of Malta. They had this stuff called naphtha, which was uh, essentially like, what, pine, pine pitch and tar, whatever, mixed together. So as these knights were like storming the castle, they poured this stuff over, dropped a torch in there, light a bunch of people on fire. Uh, the guys that ran in to put their like soldiers out, risking their lives and everything, risking the fire, the, da- the danger of that, they, when they got back, were awarded the Cross of Malta, okay? So the Maltese Cross. The Cross of Malta, originally it had eight points on it, which represented the eight Beatitudes, which is like found in the book of Matthew. So there was like, you know, that religious tone there that was all about, uh, I mean, I don't know. Think of a, what's a, what's a, what's a point on the Beatitudes? Think of, of a Beatitude, Daniel. Come on. Um, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. How about that? Like, blessed is the peacemaker because they shall be called the sons of God. I mean, things like that. It's like these eight things that you want to be like, or at least Matthew wanted you to be like. So that comes the Maltese cross. Firefighters adopted it as their symbol, and that's probably what's like the most recognizable thing. Anyway, uh, how else did they start? 
I mean, way back in the day, I think like the Romans were the first ones to have like a fire department, which were like bucket brigades. Fire breaks out, you carry buckets and set up a line, and you just try to get as much water on it as you could. Um, first, I think the first sprinkler system was invented in like 1908, something like that. This is just, hey, this solder melts, water was already in the tube, water comes out, sprinkler pattern develops, and hopefully puts out the fire. I think the same guy also um, created like the first fire rated door that was essentially just like a door clad in iron that fire had a really tough time getting through. Weird. Uh, so, I mean, they've been around forever, right? So, fire departments, I know that they were originally supposed to be like suppression. You show up, put the wet stuff on the red stuff, but eventually... Uh, you you really, I guess, can't get away from the fire department and saying EMS or emergency medical services. So let's talk about the medical for a little bit, right? I think like this is the biggest separation when it comes to the fire department. Um, okay, I'm trying to think, how can I make it simple? You have to understand the concept of like, a, a, it's a CON or a, a certificate of need. It's basically a area, geographical area, that they're stating that they will provide like X level of medical services, right? This could be a fire department, private ambulance company, you know, whatever. There's a couple different levels. There's like the basic and then advanced life support. Maybe you've heard of a EMT basic or an EMT paramedic. One's basic, one's advanced levels, right? I really think, <laughs> and most of the firefighters that I talk to, uh, would agree with this. Um, nobody wants to do medical calls. <laughs> Everybody that gets into fire service is, let's say 90% of the fire, or the people that get into the fire service want to do firefighting actions. Like, that's it, right? But uh, because the call volume is more like 80% medical, oh, you're doing medical, right? <laughs> the first, like, ambulance was actually, like, I think a hearse, that they would, like, show up, and they'd grab you, take you to the hospital. Hey, if you die, you die. But if you make it, oh, great. Um, whatever. We'll drive you to the morgue or we'll drive you to that. But then they were like, well, let's put people on there with a little bit of medicine, little medical tools, little, and then slowly and surely it built into the EMS system, the juggernaut that it is today, right? But I've always heard, now, I don't know look it up, Google it. But I always heard that the fire department never wanted this responsibility. But the people in charge were like, hey, we'll just increase your budget and you could do this medical thing. And so the fire department was like, all right, fine. You know, it makes sense for us to do it. We're there. We're, we'll help. N you know, not everything's on fire all the time. So, you know, we'll do our best and we'll do that. And I mean, what it turned into and really like the same thing happened for like the search and rescue or a technical rope rescue team or technical rescue. Like this is essentially like the stupid people need to be rescued to team, right? <laughs> it's pretty simple. Don't hike in the desert when it's too hot and don't your drive your car through a flooded wash. You dumb donkey, right? That was the same thing. Like, Hey, you guys, we need a search and rescue team or a technical rescue team Will you guys do it? And the fire department was like, no, we don't want to do that. We fight fires. And they said, 
we'll increase your budget and we'll give you more money. And we said, okay, that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then inside there, of course, you have your hazardous material response team, right? These are the hazmat guys. They're a part of the, the TRT technical rescue team. And but these guys who specialize in this are really smart and really dumb because you have to know a whole lot of advanced chemistry to get this position. But you're also going to glow in the dark in the future. And that to me is not a good idea. But whatever. We didn't want to do it. They said, we'll give you lots more money. And we said, OK, deal. Let's do that. So that takes us to, like I said, our prima donnas, the suppression side, right? The put the wet stuff on the red stuff. These are the meatheads that are like just gigantic and just like, yeah, I want to fight fire all day. And that's true. It's fun. <laughs> um, that's really supposed to be the meat and the potatoes. But like I said, about 80 to some places, 90% of your call volume is straight up EMS, right? So that's going away like a lot. And we'll get into why that's happening, why there's less fires in, a, in America today. But uh, so what else can I talk about? I could probably talk about our structure from top down. Let's do that. Let's talk about the fire department and how it's structured. So and now we're talking public. I don't know what those donkeys do over at private, but they just get hired. Someone says some risk manager is like, go make it safe. And they go do, I don't know, whatever. But in a public sector, the fire board gets elected. Everyone has oversight. Everyone. You don't just get a fire chief that just gets to, you know, yeehaw, do whatever I want. That doesn't happen, right? So the fire board gets elected in a, like a geogra geographical area. And then they hire the fire chief, okay? The fire chief hires as many assistant chief as he needs, like depending on the size of the organization. organization. And they do a whole bunch of different um, stuff. Um, you could have one in communications. You can have one in like, operations. That's the put the wet stuff on the red stuff kind of guys. Then you have like public outreach, safety, risk management. You have someone controlling, like taking care of your facilities. And like I said, if you have one station, that's one guy. He's doing all of that. That's the chief. Like he's just got to do all of that. And then if you have, I don't know, a hundred stations, <laughs> like I mean, think of somewhere gigantic: New York, L.A., uh, like Boston, just. Anywhere gigantic is going to have a lot more of those guys, okay? Now, underneath them, you might find, like, some, like, lieutenants or whatever. Uh, battalion chiefs is really a, a popular position. And those guys are more uh, – a battalion chief is, like, they do the heavy lifting on the call. So a fire goes out, a battalion chief goes. The battalion chief shows up, and he's incident commander. He sets up, like – safety he's keeping track of where uh, everybody is what units are doing what he's the one calling all the shots he needs to take all that stress off that first arriving fire engine we'll talk about the captain later but that battalion chief shows up and makes sure that the job gets done okay i'm actually thinking of uh i had a chief once he showed up uh looking for a swift water rescue and he gets there and he's like, well, dispatch, you know, we, we don't see the white truck, but hey, we found a we found like a blue car over here, small car that needs to get uh, out of the wash. And it was like a it was a flooding incident. 
then he looks over and he's like and a train just derailed <laughs> so like nothing phases a good bc a good battalion chief right but like i said they're the one that needs to like get everything done at the end of the day it's kind of all on them all right so i mentioned i would talk about the captains under them so your captain is the guy who's like controlling the station he is the day-to-day um each station should have a captain and that guy that's his house right a battalion chief will usually be assigned to uh, a few or several fire stations and he's above them and then that way you could split that workload now during a fire the first captain that arrives he sets up he's incident commander he evaluates what the fire looks like and he determines what he needs additional units he needs like hey this is a mass casualty accident 10 people been shot i need a helicopter whatever right underneath that captain on that fire engine that is an engineer he's the guy that takes care of the truck and he drives it's probably the greatest job on the planet at least every battalion chief every battalion chief i have ever spoken to when I say, do you like being a battalion chief? They're like, yeah, it's fun, it's interesting, it's, cr- it's different every day, blah, blah. And I said, is it your favorite position? And every one of them says, nope, that was being an engineer. <laughs> Most of the time, you get to an engineer level, if you're smart, you stay right there. Because you drive the truck, you wash it, and you just take care of the two idiots in the back, right? So you're two firefighters. Every fire engine should be equipped with four people. I know that there are some rural areas that only have two. That's not the best. I know that there are some that run three on a truck. That's not the greatest. Ideally, you should be running four four people on a truck. Captain, firefighter, uh, sorry, captain, engineer, two firefighters. Usually one is your like your senior firefighter, whoever has the most time on, basically, and he's always teaching the younger guy, right? Uh, they answer to the engineer, and so on. It goes right up and up that chain, right? It's kind of like a pyramid scheme, but for all the right reasons, all right? <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret right here, okay? Um, you can call anyone. Let me make sure I word this right. Anyone equal to you or below you by their first name, right? But... Um, and you can call someone directly above you, like above your rank, by their last name. But anyone higher than that is a sir or their rank. Like I said, a chief, battalion chief, assistant chief, chief, doesn't matter. Like, they're chief. Unless, like, you're a battalion chief, you're much higher up the rank. That's still a chief, but, yeah, you get to, <laughs> I don't know, just show some respect, people. All right. We use people's ranks a lot. All right. Let's see, what else can I talk about? Fire department history. What can I think? What can I think? No, oh, I just thought of something stupid. Let's talk about Backdraft, the movie, right? Can't mention the fire service without mentioning it. Like, this movie probably set us back like 10 years. <laughs> I'm sure it got a whole bunch of people into the fire service. So, like, that was great. But let's be real. You cannot throw a fire extinguisher into a fire and it explodes and puts the fire out. Like, it doesn't work like that. 
Although surprisingly, you can put out an oil derrick fire by using a uh, lot of explosives, but that's not the point. All right, so really, uh, let's talk about why the fire department is not so much like this socialist ideal thing to where you put your taxes at it, you throw money at it, and it benefits everyone as a people, okay? Because this is a 100% legit stat, right? For the employment status, okay. Volunteers make up 67% of the fire department. Let that sink in, right? We're talking 33% of the firefighters that you see, and they're usually in gigantic cities, okay, well-established areas. Those guys are getting paid, okay? The other 67% of the firefighters that you see are volunteers. They're doing it for free, okay? Some of them, they do it for like a paid-on call, but I'll get into that in a minute, but... 67% of firefighters do it for free. That's on top of their 40-hour work week that they have. And maybe they're a mechanic, they end up getting a call, they go to it, right? It's just that simple. That is why I don't think, the number one reason why I don't think there's anything like this socialism ideal attached to firefighting. Because... In socialism, everybody gets paid for like the doing the same work, blah, blah, blah. No, these guys and girls, predominantly guys, I'll talk about that ratio in a bit. These people are risking their lives doing this for free to help you. And that is not at all socialism, but that is overwhelmingly, we're talking two-thirds of the firefighters that you see throughout the country, the United States, do not get paid, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you do get paid. It's called a paid-on-call position, right? So you walk around with a radio or a pager, right? Something happens in your district. You get toned out. If you're available, you go. If you're drunk, you're having a party, you don't, right? But... Let's say I'm walking through Walmart and my pager goes off. I go. Now, for that, I remember when uh, the fire department I originally started at was so small and everything. Like, their paid-on-call status was $3 a call. And you only got that money right before Christmas. Yep, that was like your Christmas bonus, right? I mean, how, <laughs> how sad is yeah, it's sad. It really is. I mean, that was in the 90s. That was before the fire department like went full status, uh, full time. I mean, I get it that that's one step above a volunteer is a paid on call. But it's, I mean, it doesn't matter how much you spend at the time you spend at the station unless you're physically on a call. You're just hanging out. That's for freezies, right? <laughs> now, what I think when everybody thinks of, like, a firefighter, it's the full-time paid firefighter position, which, like I said, is only one-third, okay? One-third of the firefighters all across the country are actually paid, like, it's their it's their day-to-day -day job, right? 
Um, oh, should I get into that? Maybe I should get into that. The, the work schedule. Uh, we call it like the Kelly days or the, the, there's a Kelly abbreviated schedule. There's whatever. It's essentially you the Kelly days. Let's let's just go with that. 24 hours on 24 hours off 24 hours on 24 hours off 24 hours on uh, four days off. And the way that they stagger these through is you get that four days off in a row. The other two shifts are covering. So there's three shifts, A, B, and C, okay? <laughs> All right. Now, this is totally fake, but in my department, A shift were a bunch of just, like, meatheads, and they were just kind of mean, right? B shift were all just filled with mm, bastards. Yeah, I was a B shifter. We <laughs> we were the guys that got stuff done, but it was kind of like, just leave us alone, whatever. C shift, those pogues, those guys are all a bunch of like hive mentality, right? I was once doing an overtime sh shift for C shift, and I'm sitting there, and the captain said, I would like a cup of coffee. So the engineer gets up, he goes over, he grabs the coffee pot, walks over, he's washing it out. The firefighter jumps up, walks over, uh, he grabs a coffee filter and he starts washing that, putting it like some scoops in. The other firefighter, he goes over and he grabs like a, a water bucket, walks over to the fountain. He's filling it up and like it took a whole crew to make a pot of coffee. And that's what a C shifter is. 100%. 100%. That's based on this anecdotal. 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 Anecdotal anecdotal evidence 100 percent real yeah sea shifters hive mentality <laughs> uh, that's just one story i don't i remember what what else oh i should say well that was four so we were actually running six i should say it's it's pretty common with ems when you do the ems uh like when you have that certificate of need uh usually you guys are like the als sometimes you also have the bls and we'll talk about private ambulances in a bit. But when you have like the CON for advanced and basic, you are the EMS company. Okay. So you show up to a call, your paramedic gets out. So you bring a fire engine, you bring an ambulance. Someone could have difficulty breathing. So we're anticipating this person's going to die of a cardiac arrest. Okay. Your heart stops. So uh, you want as many people there as essentially the room or home could hold because uh doing uh cpr is really really massively tiring okay so you want to cycle people through all right so your paramedic runs the show i said captain captain runs the show on fires but the paramedic runs the show when it comes to ems all right that should be pretty evident right pretty self-explanatory okay uh, and then you usually stock it with another BLS guy. So your ambulance will have a paramedic and an EMT basic, and then you have your four on the engine. So that allows, uh, if it's a, I don't know, a guy cut his hand on a table saw, right? That medic needs to take that call, right? So you go ALS, you're taking them to the hospital. That allows that fire engine to stay in their jurisdiction and if there's a code, like I said, cardiac arrest, someone's going to die, they go and they're providing that while we bump up an ambulance from the next nearest station. All right. 
it's all very, very well thought out. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's like 200 years of uh, people thinking this stuff through. But I'm going to guess that a lot of people don't know this stuff. So I hope you learned something. All right. What else were we talking about? I went over some employment stats, right? Some volunteer, paid on call, a little bit of full time. Uh, what else do we have? I could think of like a wildland guy. How about a seasonal? Okay. A seasonal guy is like a wildland. So when you think about like the, oh, Arizona's on fire, right? Well, the western half of the United States is on fire. There's like 60 fires going like right now, okay? Those guys are specially trained to like hike, <laughs> get into the worst areas using hand tools and like chainsaws, cut down trees. They create a fire line so that the fire burns to it and not past it, right? Hopefully, that's the idea, right? But those guys, those wildland guys, or, and girls, don't be sexist, Daniel. Ugh. They, um, yeah, they go out, and, I mean, for, you know, three, four, five months, they work themselves to death, and then they get a gigantic paycheck from your state or federal government, whoever authorized the wildland fire pay, and called up that resource, and then I don't know what they do for the rest of it. I have no idea. I've been on two wildland fires. Um, both of them were pretty easy. I got attached with like what's called a Type 6. It's a, a fire engine. It's just basically like a souped-up off-road vehicle. It has its own little tiny tank, little little pump, and, you know, you can fight fire. Um, on one of them, I think it was a double-O ranch in uh ranch fire in kingman arizona we got hooked up was a with a con crew so uh, we called them carrot crews so the arizona department of corrections runs a crew that will show up and they are trained wildland firefighters right now they get paid get this like a quarter an hour let that sink in how is that not like just slavery adjacent a quarter, 25 cents for an hour. Now, I mean, I came back with a few thousand dollars from that from that trip because I was attached, like I said, to a Type 6, and I was getting very, very well paid for what we were risking, all right? So we were essentially tasked. It was pretty crazy. Like, they would give us GPS coordinates, and they would be like, you need to be here at this time. And we're like, okay. We just had an awesome off-road truck, and... We would have to figure out a way, like, to get there. And then eventually, the this carrot crew, these cons, convicts, would make their way to us. And then we would resupply them water, food, like, lunch, Gatorade, that kind of stuff. Refill these tiny little backpacks that they have, you know, like these little, little bladder bags with water. And then... Like, all right, see you later. And they'd have to walk cutting line, and we'd meet them like 11 miles later down the road kind of stuff. It was pretty wild. That was, But that was our assignment. And so it was to resupply, resupply those guys because it was a lot cheaper for us to do it than actually sending a helicopter out there to resupply them every 11 miles. But anyway, that's the way that they work things out like that. Not a wildland firefighter guy. Uh, I can do the pack test, though pack test is essentially just i don't know walking straight up you have what is it 20 25 pound vest on and you just have to like pretty much not die that's and you pass the pack test and they're like yep you're healthy enough to do it 
uh, I mentioned like the male to female ratio, right? This is another reason why I don't think it's anywhere near socialism. Socialism, I understand from what I understand, it's like equality amongst everyone, right? Even amongst like the jobs, how they're spread out, who they're spread out to and everything. But, and I mean, today, these are 2018 statistics. I had to pull these to make sure I don't, I don't make crap up. All right. Uh, so today, 8% of the volunteer firefighters, okay, are female. And only 4% of the career firefighters are uh, female as well, right? So 8% of volunteers, 4% of career are actual, are females, okay? I'm not being sexist. I'm only bringing up the facts, right? This is a heavily dominated male employment area, and I personally am of the mindset that if anyone wants to be a firefighter and they could do the job, they deserve it. Hands down, no problem, right? But those are the facts. If it was more towards like socialism, I'm pretty sure it would be like delegated to 50-50, male versus female and and all that. But I don't know. So how does the fire department kind of break down a little bit more too? So I can think of two big separations are between like a municipality and a fire district. Okay. I mentioned Tucson Fire before I, I work for them. Uh, well, I worked for the city of Tucson for three years, 18 months in the Tucson Fire Department as a fire inspector. But the municipality is really interesting because, like, the entire city of Tucson is all, like, one budget. One budget, one team, one group, one organization. So it was very convenient when I needed something from, say, the building department. Because I'm the same entity, I could just call them up and be like, hey, this is what I need, right? I need research on this or when was this building built or, or whatever. But I could go to my own people and like we all worked really, really well that way, okay? So the opposite of that, not really the opposite, but adjacent to is what is a fire district. And that's what I'm a part of now. So a fire district is a geographical area. Every, every part of it, 100% has to touch, okay? So you can't, like, pick and choose, oh, we want this parcel of land and not this one, whatever. Like, it has to physically touch. So in a fire district, you are unto yourself, meaning your fire board is still there, everything is set up, but the only thing you are concerned about is the the fire department the fire that's it you don't have to worry about like what the cops budget is what the parks and recreations is like what sewer and trash and gas and what i don't care we are a fire district we serve our people this is like the only thing our sole mission and focus and that's what i really like about the fire district when it comes to to the municipality, like, uh, man, it is nice when, uh, hey, this person tried to stab me. This uh, this crackhead tried to stab me. I'd like you to arrest him. TPD is like okay, and I mean they're just they're just there, right? We we fight someone in a fire district. We don't have that many resources like that. Eventually, the sheriff's department shows up. 
and they're making the arrest, right? But if we're fighting a crackhead, we need them there like yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. That's a bad example. How about this? I'm building a building, and in a municipality, I walk into one building, and I submit my building plans. Now, I know everything's going digital, which I highly recommend, but for the sake of argument, I walk in with my plans, and I set them on the desk, and it goes through everybody. It goes through plumbing. It goes through electrical. It goes through structural. It goes through like air quality. It goes just everybody, including the fire department. Right now, if you're a part of a fire district, we just get a notification. We get an email saying, hey, this is like these guys just pulled a permit on this. Are you guys interested in this? Now, it could be a new home. It could be a TI, a tenant improvement is like, let's say I'm going to turn a, a church into a, a restaurant. Like, that's a TI, all right? I'm not building a new building. I'm just changing the interior layout of a building into what you want it now, right? Tenant improvement, all right? So so we would have to step in as a fire district and say, yes, you have to submit your blueprints to us as well. We need a copy of that. And that is a little bit of an extra step, right? Like I said, inside of a municipality, they're all the same. The fire department is tied in like adjacent to the building department. And that is quite a benefit, like I said, when you're trying to get historically accurate stuff. But, okay. I think I beat that. Okay. Um, what could I think of now? Maybe some oversight. Yeah, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Who controls some of the stuff that we do? And I mentioned a lot about, like, the building department, right? So they fall underneath, like, the International Code Council, the ICC, right? They write all the codes, and when you adopt it as a fire district or a municipality, like, that is how you build stuff. Inside the International Code Council is the International Fire Code. The IFC falls under that, right? So that's a code. That's a fire code. That is, you have to build it to this level of standard, Right. And then inside that, let's say you have the NFPA, which is your National Fire Protection Association. OK, they write the standards. So a code tells you what level you have to obtain, but the standard tells you how to get to that level. That's not too bad. I mean, they write a lot of documents for us and they test a lot of stuff. Um, who else can I really think of? National oversight, just oversight. How about NIFRS, right? The National Fire Incident Reporting System. So way back in the day, I don't know what year, Google it. Uh, they decided to create NIFRS, N-F-I-R-S, right? So that every single fire department, fire district, municipality, it doesn't matter who, they have to report what kind of fire they had. Was it a fatality? Like all this information on it. It's like a seven or eight page document that you end up submitting to them. And that goes for every single fire, right? Then they get a hold of it and then they tabulate it and calculate it. And they say like, okay, let's say you had across America, because they're looking at big numbers, right? Across America, there were 
40% vegetation fires. Well, next year, we're going to work on how can we get that 40% down lower, right? Because that's what we do. That is who we are. We want to reduce the risk to the public. Um, yeah, so someone has to be there to, like, look at all that data. Um, okay. So inside your fire department, let's talk about a little bit more roles and responsibilities. I mentioned fire suppression, prima donnas. No, <laughs> no, they're great people. Come on. But that is like the heavy lifters, right? Those are the people that are going out day in, day out, and they're put the wet stuff on the red stuff. I mean, they are suppression. Now, inside that suppression division, like it's sometimes called operations division, that's your EMS, that's your swift water rescue, your technical rescue team, like all of that falls under that, okay? So fire prevention is one of the things that I do. So that's inside the organization. We are trying to essentially, really with the buildings, reduce the amount of fires that our suppression staff is exposed to. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So our role is to reduce the frequency and intensity of fires that do break out. And, I mean, that goes through everything from enforcing the fire code, enforcing the fire code, um, let's say a building we've determined Okay, we don't want uh, a 1,000 people to die, obviously. We don't want one person to die. But unfortunately, at some point, a 1,000 people have died in, like, a large, gigantic um, assembly area, okay? So fire code steps in, and they say, we're going to change things. Now, from now on, buildings that are of this size are going to be, it's going to be mandatory that you are going to install a, a fire sprinkler system and a fire alarm system. So not only will the fire sprinkler system hopefully extinguish the fire before the fire department is even like sent out, but the fire alarm system is going to notify the fire department faster. So as soon as there is a problem, the fire department is initiated or activated. So that saves time, okay? And time, like, it matters when a fire is growing, right? So inside my prevention division, we actually have fire investigations as well. So the fires that we can't um, prevent, <laughs> uh, suppression people come up and they put it out, and then we go in and investigate it to hopefully find out what caused it, and then we could reduce that. So let's say a washer and dryer. Let's just say a dryer. Okay clothes dryer uh turns out that a million of them are sold all across the united states okay but uh 10 percent of them in this one model line or whatever has a bad switch in it and that switch will burn out and it'll cause the drum to stop spinning and it starts a clothes fire which then turns into a laundry room fire which then turns into a home fire all right so if we could track it back all the way down to its point of origin, 
we could then notify people so that they can pull that product or um, do a recall on that product or maybe they come up with a solution on how to fix that product just you know whatever uh, so that's kind of what investigation is it's origin and cause it's when where and how you know like where and how did the fire start that's the overall goal um, and that helps us like I said prevent fires in the future hopefully uh, don't get me wrong there's a lot of stupid human error but hey whatever People are going to not discard cigarettes properly and start brush on fire and burn their home down all the time. That stupid human error, we can't fix that. But uh, let's see, I could also think of like our fire education. Um, that's like they come to your school, they teach you stop, drop, and roll. Um, the fire code says how many uh, fire drills you need to have a year like as a school. And then you know your public education goes out there and they teach. Man, I mean, CPR, they, uh, ours does like babysitting classes to where we teach kids, you know, like, hey, this is when you need to call 911 and this is how to uh, prevent choking. And I mean, things like that, uh, just any type of public outreach, uh, your team that teaches in your area, probably like, hey, don't blow your hands off with fireworks this 4th of July. You know, <laughs> those guys are uh, pretty important. Okay. Oh, man. I've been talking a long time. Anyway, let's talk about uh, funding. Okay. Funding for fire departments come in, you know, two, three, four ways, whatever. But you have, um, I'm just going to get historical. So, like, the city of Tucson, Tucson Fire, is based on a sales tax. Okay, so every single transaction that happens within the city of Tucson limits, there is a regional sales tax attached to that. It's weird. It goes to the state. The state calculates how much, like, your, how many of your people are, like, what your, not people, yeah, what your city size is just how many people live there residents okay and then they divvy out that money and then when it comes into a municipality this is like the big deal when it comes into the municipality uh it then gets divided up amongst like police department parks roads um yeah water water development um and then of course your fire department so you fight for a budget every single year, okay? The way we operate uh, in a fire district is usually based on your property tax, okay? Ours in our area is like three point something percent. So your house is worth a hundred grand, you're giving us three dollars, okay? And that funds us so that in the event of an emergency, we're coming, we're gonna put the fire out and we don't charge you any money. That's that's essentially like our property tax method, all right? I really, really prefer this method because like I said, you're not fighting for your budget like every single year. It's really just established, hey, this is, this is how much the land that we are around, in and around, this is the area that we serve, 
these are the taxes that they pay this is the valuation and we just make it happen okay um, of course there's also grants um, thank you John Q taxpayers for grants that we end up getting federal and state levels because let's see can I give an example of that okay our radios now this was like a regional grant that we got for the entire area like the entire Tucson metropolitan area right this grant went towards updating the infrastructure of like all of the radios so everybody is on the exact same page and then the radios that we got allow us to change channels so our fancy little radios whatever normally you have like an a b and a c channel and inside a b and c you have 16 channels inside a b and c okay but let's say I need to get a hold of the helicopter that is coming from the Department of Homeland Security, I can, utilizing the digital channels on the back, I can adjust it to, say, um, Z channel 14 because I have access to that many channels. Like, it's unbelievable. And then all the repeaters are all tied together, and it just... It makes everything really, really streamlined. And I believe that this pretty much came down uh, from the uh, Gabby Giffords shooting when people were not able to get on the same page. Helicopters were landing. I think I think eight people were transported via helicopter. Um, it was it was crazy. All right. Same thing. Think of these radios. Um, after like 9-11 it was police and fire need to be able to communicate to each other and they made it happen right think of the like the route 99 the shooting that happened up in las vegas it was everybody needs to talk to everybody and because of that like these radios came out and it was expensive okay to upgrade all of this and that was paid for by like a uh, a grant so that comes in it doesn't come out of your budget but it really has to the grant has to benefit kind of everybody not just not just you right um so there are the three ways um so <clears throat> when i started i mentioned that i was hearing like a lot of people talking about like what the fire department is or what they think it is or whatever but and they really came down to, sorry, Joe Rogan, but I always hear you talking about like all the big cities you've lived in, like Boston, New York, L.A., Boulder, Colorado. Now I think you're in like Austin, Texas and everything. And all of these cities have a gigantic, like large, full-time city sales tax funded fire departments, right? You're not experiencing the rural 67% of America that has a volunteer fire department and some of those guys get their fire engines from grants right so where they don't even have a budget based on sales tax to buy a fire engine right so maybe they have a chief maybe the chief is volunteer you know but they have a fire board volunteer chief there is like zero money, but they get a grant to build a station and to put a fire engine in there 
so that in the event of an emergency, volunteers could come and extinguish that fire. But, like, that's the majority. That's two-thirds of America. And that's why... I mean, that's why the fire department is not anywhere near this, like, socialist ideal, metropolitan, like, utopian idea. But I get why people think that. I really do. Because, like, when you live in L.A., like, 14 million people, like... That's a conglomerate of a gigantic <laughs> a group of fire departments. Like, I do not believe L.A. County is all one. I believe parts of it are, but then, like, once again, the rural parts, volunteers. I think San Bernardino County Fire has, like, the largest landmass area in California, I think. Man, I got to check on that. I don't know. But I I think I've really said, like, I, I prefer the tax base over your sales tax for fire department funding just because it's like you could drive through a town and you don't you, maybe you stop and buy some gas. Then, yeah, some sales tax might go from that, like, to the local fire department. But the people that are there the valuation of that area dictates how much funds go to the fire department directly. And you could always raise that rate. You could lower that rate. It doesn't have to be at 3%. I don't know what the ideal rate is, but that's for your fire board to decide. Um, I talked about the oversight. Uh, your fire board, their elected positions, they have a limit in the years. I don't think too many of them have a term limit. Some of them, as far as, like, your um, city council uh, is usually, uh, sometimes, your fire, they're your fire board. Um, sometimes the city council appoints the fire board. I mean, I, it's just really, like, what your city charter and what what that's already set up and how that works. But, I don't know. What else can I talk about? Um... Cops versus firefighters and why they disagree with each other all the time. Uh, do you know what a cop and a firefighter have in common? They both wanted to be firefighters growing up. That's an old joke. All right. But I don't know. It's a love-hate relationship. We love to hate each other. Firefighters are better. Cops will tell you that fire department's second responders. Whatever. We have more medical training than you. We're going to help you. We're going to save you. Just protect us north hollywood shoot out just bring your cops to us we'll save their lives you shoot the bad guys i guess i don't know um oh here's something i just thought of so <laughs> let's talk about something really kind of weird okay iso i don't even know what it stands for it's something of your insurance like standardized whatever so depending on how good your local fire department is dictates what you spend in fire insurance to your insurance company okay so city of tucson tucson fire is a class one iso rated fire district and i think there's only like three in arizona right that means that you're in the top one percent of all fire departments across the country all right 
that's that's a big number. So it goes from one through ten, one being the best, ten being the worst. Okay, ten being hundred percent volunteer, no water, no funds, no radio communications, no nothing. Maybe they got a water tender. It's bad. Okay, class like ten ISO. You're paying the highest levels of insurance because it's really statistically probable that if you have a fire, your house is going to burn down because the fire department's way too far away, right? Opposite that, class one ISO, that means that they have, there's like 16 different levels, and one of them is communications. That was a part of the grant, like that was going to bump uh, bump them into a class one ISO for having a great communications, meaning radio coverage. Anywhere in the city of Tucson, the radio works. It doesn't matter if you're in a basement, doesn't matter where you are, that radio, you key it up, it's going to hit dispatch, and that is a big deal, okay? So, you pay a lower fire insurance rate, and I'm talking just property protection, fire protection in your home, right, insurance. Um, you pay less money in a Class 1 ISO because that means the fire department is super close. They're within like, I don't know, it's like 8 to 12 minutes, something like that. Maybe it's eight minutes during the day, 12 minutes at night. I don't know how that works. Whatever. I'm not an ISO guy. Uh, communications. We went over water supply. So it really does matter how many fire hydrants you have like in your, in your area. Okay. If the fire department can't get water, they can't do their job. So water goes into it a lot. Uh, I don't know what the rest are. <laughs> Those are the big three, though. So uh, look it up. That's pretty interesting. Call your uh, insurance provider and tell them you, uh, if you're in the city of Tucson that you live in a Class 1 ISO-rated fire district and that you want a better fire insurance rate. Hopefully you uh, you get a better one. Let's see. I can think of... There's got to be something else. There's tons of stuff about the fire department. Um, oh, let's break down the EMS system a little bit. This is messed up. Since the EMS system, the fire department, has gotten involved, people have, like, my toe hurts. I need to go to the ER. No, okay, I showed up for a call one time, and it came out as difficulty breathing. We get there, and this kid is mumbling, yeah, my mouth hurts. I'm like, what? What? Like, wh what is the problem? You called 911. Are you okay? Like, what? My mouth hurts. What? My mouth hurts. What? My mouth hurts. What do you mean your mouth hurts? My wisdom teeth are growing in. And my mouth hurts. I can't sleep. I need to go to the ER. No. There's nothing that, like, there's nothing that they could do for you. Like, well, I want to go. I want to go to the ER. <sighs> my paramedic looked at me, handed me the clipboard, and he said, I'll, I'll be waiting in the ambulance. And I said, are you really going to the ER because your mouth hurts? Now, to him... This is an emergency to him. It is. His mouth hurts. Maybe he has an infection. I don't know, but it's, yep, we'll take you to the hospital. Anyone in America that wants to go to the hospital gets to go to the hospital. That's just the way it is, right? That brings up a little bit of, like, our frequent flyers. These are the people that go to the hospital a lot. These are the guys and gals that when the tones go off, you recognize the address. You're like, oh, it's... Charlotte. I don't know a Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte. We're taking her to the hospital. The, she she wants to go. <sighs> There's some people that call us just for like a taxi ride. 
Um, there was I was doing a uh, a ride along um, because I am an EMT and I need to, I need to keep up my EMT skills. So we have to do ride alongs. Um, I know you don't get to do a lot of EMS as a fire investigator uh, or like any or <laughs> whatever. Um, as a fire inspector, though, we're in the area, so we could get dispatched to, like, the if we're the closest available unit, we're going to go and we're going to start CPR on anybody that's coded or their heart stopped beating. We're going to go. So, uh, where was I going with that? Frequent flyers. So, these are the people that are always recognizable. I was doing a ride-along, and... This poor old guy, he had like a, a bladder infection, whatever, uh, military guy, and all he needed was a ride to the VA. And it was like, man, I I wish I could just say, hey, can you just call this bro an Uber? Like, just take him by Uber. It's going to be a lot cheaper, but that's not the way the EMS system works. So then, like, we're, where I'm at now, we're 100% ALS, Advanced Life Support. If you're not dying, we call AMR. Um, AMR, I don't know what that stands for, but they show up, and they're a private ambulance company, meaning, like, they are a for-profit ambulance company. They're not, like, really associated with us, but they have the, the CON for basic life support. So when it's not ALS, when it's not advanced life support, they get a phone call. They come and it's cheaper for them, you know, to take someone wherever, whatever hospital they're going to. And yeah, but they also get like private transports. So let's say if you're in a hospital in, um, oh, Bullhead City. Okay. Uh, Bullhead, Bullhead. Uh, like where I'm from. Right. If you need a transport now, I think Bullhead Fire actually does have like the transport uh, rights, their CON. But anyway, uh, they're not firefighters, actually, that transport you. I mean, Bullhead Fire has a bunch of firefighters, but their private ambulance company, like their ambulance company inside a Bullhead Fire, they have their own vehicles, their own ambulances. They show up and they will transport you to, say, Las Vegas because... Let's say your insurance says you need to go up there because you need some type of higher level care, whatever. They have it. They would transport you. Like we don't, we don't do that where I'm from. Uh, either does uh, Tucson Fire. So let's see, what else? I don't know. I'm tired of talking. I bet you're tired of listening. Let's look down. Fifty-eight minutes. Uh, okay. I'm gonna go get a drink of water. I hope this has been informative. If you have any questions, please email me at the, the Eclectic Standing Room podcast. I think at Gmail. I don't know. Bye, everybody.